motorcar in the hands of the average man is rapidly facing extinction. Truly, the average man is a creature of strange and unorthodox habits. Take the case of Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker lives in a quiet, respectable neighborhood. He is a typical average man, considered a good citizen and of average intelligence. He is a kindly man, courteous, punctual, and honest. Good morning, Mr. Walker. Good morning to you, Mr. Geef. Lovely day. Mr. Walker wouldn't hurt a fly, nor step on an ant. He believes in live and let live. Mr. Walker owns a motor car and considers himself a good driver. But once behind the wheel, a strange phenomenon takes place. Mr. Walker is charged with an overwhelming sense of power. His whole personality changes. Abruptly, he becomes an uncontrollable monster, a demon driver. Mr. Walker is now Mr. Wheeler, a motorist. Watch where you're going, stupid! So how many spouses are elbowing each other? That's you. Yeah, I confess. Yeah, I asked them to put a picture of me up there. Very funny, guys. Um, yeah, no doubt some of you were squirming in your seats while you're watching that cartoon. Uh, some of you may have actually seen it before. It's one of my favorites. When I was a kid, my hero was this guy. Anybody know who that is? Oh, yeah, Speed Racer. Um, so naturally, as I grew up, my understanding of life behind the wheel manifested itself into an ideal that cars were meant for driving. Yeah. Driving fast. Life was an adventure, and being on the road meant racing. Of course, we know that's not always practical, especially in Frisco traffic these days. <laughs> we envision driving like this, fast and free, or fast and furious, of course. But it's usually this. Yeah, it can get frustrating. Or this is what happens in the real world when you do drive like Speed Racer. You know, like Jekyll and Hyde, when some of us get behind the wheel of a car, all our spiritual disciplines go out the window, well, except prayer, because I bet we all pray either, Lord, please get that idiot out of the way, or Lord, save me from that maniac. Well, what would Jesus have to say about that, about our behavior behind the wheel? How would those prayers be answered? We don't have to look far to find out. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching, and he says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your Father in heaven. Since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And again in Luke, he says, but I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. And from the person who takes away your coat, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you and do not ask 
for your possessions back from the person who takes them away. Treat others in the same way that you would want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. Now, you might be thinking, come on, AJ. Isn't that a bit extreme for an illustration about driving? Well, think about it. It really does represent a significant cultural reality in our context that impacts and demonstrates how we deal with relationships, even and especially to those with whom we share the road, which are most of the time strangers. At some point, we all need to evaluate how others see us as we navigate traffic in North Dallas. I'll let you fill in the blanks. That's a far cry from how Paul instructs us to live in this oft-quoted and beautiful passage. Paul says, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. I think the driving illustration is a very appropriate one to start out on this discussion of being nice. If you don't struggle on the road to think of others before yourself, I'm sure that you have been frustrated with someone else's obnoxious driving. We need signs like this as a reminder everywhere. Wouldn't that be great? And I wish this passage from Colossians could fit on a bumper sticker or even on a road sign. Therefore, as the elect of God, that's you and me, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. And to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. Now, as you could probably tell from the cover of your bulletin today, our message isn't very complicated. You don't need a Bible degree. You don't need to be a scholar to understand it. And actually, much of Scripture really comes down to this. Just be nice. So for those of you who are wondering, my name's A.J. Rinaldi. Wayne Broderick is not here this week. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I get the privilege of going on this adventure with you. And I'll try not to drive like Speed Racer. So I didn't realize that being nice versus being kind was even a thing. But evidently, some people like to overanalyze the lexicon of love. Is that a song? It's actually a whole album. Bonus points for whoever can say who the artist is. I'm going to keep you guessing. Some people say kindness is more from the heart, and it flows from a genuine desire to improve the life of another with your actions or your words. Whereas nice is seen as a social expectation. It's like politeness or etiquette. Well, for today, we're going to blur the lines. We're not going to get into the semantics of being kind or nice. Both are an expression of love, and both should be practiced with sincerity and by God's grace. I love how Paul addressed non-issues when he wrote to Timothy. And he said, as I urged you when I was leaving for Macedonia, stay on in Ephesus to instruct certain people not to spread false teachings nor to occupy themselves with myths and interminable genealogies. Such things promote useless speculations rather than God's redemptive plan that operates by faith. 
But the aim of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have strayed from these and turned away to empty discussion. Being kind, being nice, being friendly, these things can be interchangeable expressions of Christian love. That's at the heart of this point. Especially when it's practiced in a challenging context, as I'm sure all of us face every single day. Attempting to define or drill down semantics is an empty discussion when the priority focus should be on the love and compassion one feels for those on the receiving end. The attribute of niceness is universally accepted as a positively impactful characteristic. It's universally accepted. Psychologist Thomas Plant recently published an article on psychologytoday.com about being nice, and he had this to say. He said, when you talk about a person with others, so often they want to know if the person was or is nice or not. And typically, when anyone meets a celebrity or someone who is perceived to be famous or important, for the first question people will typically ask about the encounter is, were they nice? I'm sure that can be said of many of you. That's common. Are, is, are he or she a nice person? Now, one of the reasons why people may have a tendency to avoid the term nice and opt for kind or friendly instead is the way some play at nice without the substance of kindness. Now, if you're new to Texas, I know we have some people new to Texas, or to the South in general, if someone says to you, bless your heart, you may not realize you've probably just been insulted. On the other hand, it may be your practice to justify harsh comments you make about other people by following it up with, bless their heart. That's very common, right? Oh, that whatever, but bless their heart. It justifies what we say. Now, being nice should not provide a facade to come across as if you think, you feel, or you are something you are not. It absolutely must be genuine. It's so easy to be patronizing with people. I'll admit I'm guilty, but usually it's transparent. People can see right through you. They see through that sweet exterior to what's underneath. Now, on another note, promoting niceness does not mean that we need to be naive about what it takes sometimes to get a job done effectively. Sometimes practicing love requires behavior that seems contrary to what nice is. Both of those guys are practicing love. You just can't see it. <laughs> Leading, informing, instructing, equipping. These things aren't mean, which is the opposite of nice. Although it may be difficult to find nice in the act itself, it's about honoring someone honoring someone. On this topic, Paul states in Romans that love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. And I love that word, honoring. That is an expression of love. Being genuinely nice, not deceptive, not patronizing, and leading with passion. These things are an expression of love by honoring others through our words and our actions. The power of nice for the Christian witness 
cannot be overstated. And sadly, in general, Christians have done a poor job of loving through kindness, I'm afraid. As Doug Pollack states in his book, God Space, and I think this is a great quote, he said, to many people in our culture, Christians are considered the disagreement people. We've worked hard to earn this label, one reaction at a time. Many times, not yet Christians will say or do things just to see how we'll react. This is often a test to determine whether or not it's safe enough for them to engage with us in real conversations. What we need are supernatural responses. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that communicate radical acceptance if we hope to create space for spiritual conversations to happen naturally. When engaging with the world, stop and think. You may actually be the only example of Christ someone ever sees. Now, you may have heard of the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. It's written by a guy by the name of Richard Carlson. Now, this quote comes from that book. Although it's certainly not a Christ-centered book, as with many things, Christian principles can be found throughout. And Carlson says this, choose being kind over being right, and you'll be right every time. So often we want to be right. And you know what? We are. We are right. We have the truth, and we want others to know it, and we want others to accept it. But we must remember, at the center of the gospel is love, for God so loved the world. You can't argue someone into the kingdom of heaven, and you certainly can't get their attention by being unpleasant and forceful. Recently, there was a documentary released about a man who understood this very well. And although I haven't seen it yet, I'm actually anxious to do so. Uh, I have read that it explores this man's roots as a Presbyterian minister and how the Bible informed much of who he was. Fred Rogers understood what it meant to show compassion and love, to break down boundaries and express kindness, be nice to everyone. He knew what it meant to be a neighbor. Sometimes we need to be reminded ourselves. For that, we should all know where to turn, and I know some of you may not, which is always exciting for me, because this is a story with which I never grow tired. So if it's the first time you've heard it, that's awesome. And if it's the hundredth time you've heard it, I hope you love it just as much as I do. In Luke chapter 10, we find the story, as you know, of the Good Samaritan. Let's read it together. Now, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you understand it? The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the expert, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, but when he saw the injured man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came up to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was traveling came to where the injured man was, and when he saw him, he felt compassion for him. He went up to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever else you spend, I will repay you when I come back this way. Which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in religious law said, The one who showed mercy to him. So Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. There's so much depth to the story of the Good Samaritan, but in fact, we could probably do a whole sermon series just on this parable. But just understand this. Jesus' illustration was actually scandalous. The victim was a stranger, a nobody. The patsies were the high society, the well-respected. And the hero was low class. Everyone in this parable was seemingly out of place. It turned conventional thinking on its head. Who are you? How do you treat others? As you would like to be treated? What about these folks? This is an area that might be convicting for many. Are you quick to complain when your order's not right? If you have to wait in the queue, that's another word for line, longer than expected. How about on the phone with the cable company? Ugh, that's the worst. It's so hard to be nice to somebody on the other end of the phone, isn't it? Stop and think, what kind of day is this person having? How many other customers have they encountered that were rude and obnoxious, bad tippers, chronic complainers? Not to mention... Most of these people are on their feet all day long. Please be nice to those in the service industries. They have a very tough job, usually for low pay. And for heaven's sake, leave a big tip. Especially if they've seen you praying before your meal or overheard your spiritual conversation. Represent Christians in Christ well. I've heard from many servers that they don't like working Sunday afternoons because they get the after-church crowd who are notoriously bad tippers. That's a sad witness. Now, I'm going to read a passage from Romans chapter 13. And if you would, when I get to the underlying segments, let's wake up a little bit. Read those with me loud and proud. Paul says, pay everyone what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, there it is. Kevin Hines is an author and mental health advocate who threw himself off the Golden Gate Bridge when he was 19 years old. Heinz had taken a bus to the bridge, he was visibly distraught, and he was looking to the strangers he encountered along the way, hoping that one person would ask him what was wrong and tell him not to jump. None of them did, and he ended up vaulting off the bridge. Miraculously, he survived. But Kevin tells a story about another person who jumped off the bridge who wrote a suicide note saying he would not go through with it if a single person smiled at him that day. No one did. He jumped and did not survive. Do you want to impact the world for Christ? It happens one person at a time. We so often forget that. And the importance of those individual connections get lost in the overwhelming sea of traffic jams, long lines, frustrating conversations, the last thing we think of is how to love this person, how to love that person, 
This is the very thing we're commanded to do. Check out this video. I think this kid is awesome, and he wants us to be awesome, too. There are lots of ideas how you can change the world. Some people think you should just complain about it. That won't change the world. It'll just make it bad. Some people think you have to have lots of money money, make it rain everywhere you go. Holla for a dollar. Some people think you have to be really loud and yell a lot. It's like with a bullhorn shouting. Hey, you, yeah, you. Do it my way right now. You heard? Other people choose to just make fun of everything. That's dumb, that's dumb, everyone's dumb. It's easier to make fun of stuff, but it's cooler to make stuff. Some people think changing the world can only be done by the smartest person in the world. Just put them in a room, let them figure it out. The solution of world hunger? Food. Wow, that was like so amazing. Some people see the bad in the world and they just decide to ignore it. But that won't help anything. Some people think you have to be really famous and super cool. In fact, lots of people think you have to be really powerful to make a difference. Like being mayor or senator or president. But the truth is, a title doesn't make you more important. The world is changed by you. It's one person filled with love. And they just have to live it out so they do something awesome. Then that person is filled with love and they do something awesome. It just goes on and on and on and on. And the next thing you know, everything's awesome. Some people think it's impossible to change the world. It's impossible to change the world. Well, you can see why they could think that. Living in the world with kids who are hungry, people who are homeless, families weren't happy. I'm just trying to figure it out like everybody else, man. But I do know this, though. Next time you feel overwhelmed or totally alone, remember this. Things don't have to be the way they are. The world is changed by ordinary people. Little people living out big love. And that's what gives the world a reason to dance. Oh, he's great. That's Kid President. <laughs> he's got a lot of great videos on YouTube. Some of you have probably seen him before. But you know, the point is, it doesn't matter who you are. You can make a difference in someone's life every single day. Another excerpt from Carlson's writing, I think is a powerful one, is this. He says, every day, tell at least one person something you like, admire, or appreciate about them. You might be the one who prevents a suicide or causes someone to seek out truth, learn more about what you believe, care about what you know because they know that you care. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. There's a pattern here, isn't there? And by the way, here it comes. That includes the annoying brother or sister in Christ sitting next to you. We are called, no, commanded, to love our fellow believers. John writes in 1 John addressing this issue, and he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we reside in God and he in us, in that he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So, one of my favorite jokes of all time is an eye roller, okay? I know I'm a master at dad jokes, and I get made fun of for that all the time. I can deal with it. I can get it. It's corny. But this particular one always reminds me of one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And recently, as well known as this joke is, I was able to get somebody to fall for it. It made my day. Everybody around was saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't play into his hands. But they did, and it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> so you all probably know it. It goes like this, knock, knock. Yeah. Banana. Banana. I heard somebody go, oh, no. <laughs> knock, knock. Yeah. Banana. Banana. Knock, knock. Yeah. Banana. Banana. Knock, knock. Orange. Orange, you glad I didn't say banana? I'm, it, it's okay to groan. Seriously, we need to show real fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, which is clearly laid out for us by Paul in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Read this, read this whole passage with me. Let's read it slowly, taking a moment to really let these words sink in. Okay, you ready? Let's read it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Nearly 25 years ago, the band Newsboys, some of you may be familiar with them, they released a song, the lyrics of which I think are excellent. I only have enough time and space for the chorus, but the whole song is great. And it goes like this, feel free to sing out loud if you know it. The lyrics to the chorus go like this, shine, make them wonder what you got, make them wish that they were not on the outside looking board. Shine, let it shine before all men, let them see good works and then let them glorify the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Do you really want to be salt? Do you really want to be light? Just be nice. And you will shine on like a bunch of crazy diamonds. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we worship you, we praise you for the gift that we have of gathering together today in your name and the freedom to do so. And Lord, I just pray for our offering. 
today as the ushers come forward. This is for those who call Frisco Bible Church home, and I thank you for each and every one of those, for everyone who attends here and any visitors. Lord, I just pray that we might minister to them all. It is a blessing and a privilege to be here. And Lord, as we go from here, may we always be mindful of those whose lives we impact and that we might actually change with a kind word. May we always be mindful that it is your kingdom that we serve, Lord, and it is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.